Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Woke up about 6am in the morning feeling a little bit a little bit groggy. I knew I had to get up before my wife for work, so I sort of was tossing and turning for a bit and then turn, tried to lean over to turn the alarm clock off before it went off, if that makes sense, and I fell out of bed. I mean, I couldn't move my right-hand side. I was laying on the floor. Couldn't move my right arm, right leg. I was a bit like a dead weight, and I just couldn't speak. Couldn't get anything out coherently anyway. It was strange because there was no plane, but I had a real clarity of thought and I, I pretty much thought immediately it was a stroke. I think it's important not to benchmark yourself against others in terms of your experience and recovery. Everyone who's had a stroke has suffered something that could have killed them. Hello, I'm Mark Goodyear and this is Stroke Stories, the podcast that seeks out and hears from stroke survivors. In the UK, stroke sufferers are getting younger. NHS figures show that since 2000, the number of men aged 40 to 54 in England hospitalised after stroke has increased by 46% and among women, 30%. In this episode, we'll hear from Paul Burrows from Peterborough, who suffered a stroke at the age of 43. It was actually a really good period in my life. You know, work was going well, doing lots of things as a family. I was healthy, you know, going swimming, going to the gym quite regularly. I've got Crohn's disease, so I've had that for 20 years as well. So I've had ups and downs in terms of my, my health over the course of the last 20 years. But I was in a, in a very good place 2019 quite a sort of vivid experience really i went to bed it was the 4th of november i went to bed uh, had a really good sleep i've been sleeping well so even looking back there was no sort of warning signs woke up about 6am in the morning feeling a little bit a little bit groggy i knew i had to get up before my wife for work so I sort of was tossing and turning for a bit and then tried to lean over to turn the alarm clock off before it went off, if that makes sense. And I fell out of bed. And I mean, I couldn't move my right-hand side. I was laying on the floor. Couldn't move my right arm, right leg. I was a bit like a dead weight. And I just couldn't speak. Couldn't get anything out coherently anyway. It was strange because there was no plane, but I had a real clarity of thought. And I, I pretty much thought immediately it was a stroke. And Lynn, my wife, sort of as soon as she heard me fall out of bed, she dashed around to the side of the bed. She thought I'd hit my head on the bedside cabinet at first. I thought it was just, you know, being a bit silly. But then she realised how serious it was and, yeah, immediately called 999. The ambulance turned up 20 minutes later. In that time, my eldest daughter, Amy, who was 12 at the time, sort of ran into our bedroom. She obviously heard what was going on. And between Amy and, and Lynn, my wife, they sort of dragged me onto the bed. 
So I was sat on the bed, paramedics turned up. They immediately knew it was a stroke. You know, they did the, the tests of, you know, strength in your arms and legs. I didn't have a, any sort of droop face or anything, but I, I couldn't speak. I couldn't get any get my words out sensibly. So they, they knew what it was and, uh, yeah, got me in the ambulance and then straight to A&E at Peterborough Hospital. I must have got into Peterborough Hospital probably just about half seven in the morning, I think. I mean, the timings and my recall of times are all a bit off, but um, I was quickly straight into the emergency area and I had two CT scans pretty quickly, one after the other. Obviously determined I had a stroke, had a clot on the left side of my brain, which was obviously then affecting my uh, right side of my body. And it was, I mean, to his absolute credit, that whoever was the consultant in Peterborough and A&E immediately picked up the phone to the Specialist Stroke Centre at Addenbrooke's. And even at that point, they were like, get him down the road. It's only 40 minutes down the road and stuff like that. But there was a really strange thing happened while I was in Peterborough A&E in that I was sort of sat there. Lynn, Lynn arrived because she, she'd followed on in her car. And once she'd found the A&E room and stuff like that, and we... We had a bit of a cuddle before she went off to do some phone calls to, to my work and things like that. As she walked off, the clock must have moved because all of a sudden I could move my arm and leg uh, and I could actually speak, which was really quite bizarre. And obviously that bought me some time. But thankfully, you know, the clinician still saw it as an emergency and then, you know, got me down the road in an ambulance to, to Adambrooks. So what they determined was, because they didn't know what time I'd actually had the stroke and it might have happened at any point in the night, I was too late for the clock-busting IV. But the stroke consultants at Addenbrooke's had indicated that they wanted to try and get me in for a medical thrombectomy. So as soon as I got to Addenbrooke's, again into another emergency area, the stroke consultants was straight there and ordered another CT scan. And then they did some ultrasound on my neck to check the, the artery situation. And then, yeah, literally, it must have been about one o'clock in the afternoon, I think. I was wheeled into a, an area and the radiographer and his team was ready to do a medical thrombectomy. The consultant, I think it was beforehand, told me it was a, you know, a good chance of success, especially in, in someone my age. It's a relatively new procedure to the NHS. I think it's only been in place three years. Not that many places do it and not many people have it compared to the need. So, you know, when I researched it after the stroke, you know, I, I realised how lucky I was. Everything sort of lined up for me. It lasted about half an hour, local anaesthetic. You know, they went in through the groin, up this wire went, uh, you know, up, up round. I could feel it go past the back of my head. It was really quite disconcerting. And they then grabbed the clot, which is absolutely, you know, a medical miracle. So, yeah, really skillful. They went in four times to get the clot. After the seconds go, they were like, right, we've got the biggest bit of the clot now. There's a couple of fragments that we'll go and get. So they went to get those and then... Um, uh, then it was getting a little bit too painful, so they decided not to go any further. There was a small fragment left behind, but then they did the, you know, the tests immediately after that, and I was certainly in terms of the physical tests, I was as I was beforehand. So they got the clock, everything was was looking good there. I came out though, had a cracking headache. Obviously, the light and and whatnot around, you know, the fluorescent light was was causing me a bit of a dilemma. So I didn't know whether my vision had been affected. 
I had aphasia. So my ability to to recall and search for words and communicate and, and certainly, you know, text messaging was all over the place and stuff like that. So physically, it came away as a success. We, the rest, we just had to wait a while to, to see whether it, how successful it had been. I think 24 hours, I was sort of lied, lied flat to make sure there was no after effects. And then CT scan the next day. And remarkably, they let me home the next day, which was, you know, an, an absolute miracle seeing as the condition I was in. So because because I was physically fine, it was just, you know, sort of mentally and, and, and you know, getting words out and all that type of stuff. They didn't really see the need to sort of discharge me back to Peterborough or send me back to Peterborough Hospital. By this time, my parents had come down and they were actually at Addenbrooke's as well. So my, my dad was able to to drive me home and then literally got home and went straight to bed after a hug, of, a hug with the wife and the, and the kids. Doctors couldn't identify a definitive cause of Paul's stroke. My lifestyle's pretty good, so there were no sort of obvious factors for the stroke. They've done... A variety of tests and haven't determined a cause. The only test I've got left to go is the test for regular heartbeat or the, or the more detailed cardiology tests, which have obviously been curtailed a little bit because of COVID lockdown, but hopefully I'll get them in due course. But other than that, everything's pretty much been ruled out. So it's a bit of a mystery, really. Now, what I can say is I think my experience with, with Crohn's disease and being in and out of hospital and all of that really did stand me in good stead in terms of, you know, the going into the stroke and going through hospital and the recovery because I've had that similar experience. And my wife's been through the same medical journey as me because she supported me for the last 20 years. She's been an absolute rock. But because we've had that experience, I think it enabled me to be in a really strong place to limit the impacts that the stroke had and then hopefully accelerate my recovery as well. After leaving hospital, Paul found he was well supported in his recovery. I got discharged and then I think a couple of days later, I was seen by the post-stroke sort of home care team. I forget the terminology, but actually I found the the aftercare really fantastic, actually. Certainly very different to what I've seen with my Crohn's disease in terms of the sort of after hospital care. So, you know, real credit there. And physically I was fine, so I didn't need the physio. They did a bit of a triage on it and effectively I was making really strong progress in that first week. So it was just a case of the psychological support that I needed. So I had a few sessions with the psychologist during that sort of first six week period where you get the sort of NHS follow on care. And then since then, I've had more detailed neuropsychology appointments at Adam Brooks as well. So that's been really handy in just helping me talk through things and see whether I've got the sort of right you know, experience and tools to help in particular around mental health, because that's where it's been hardest for me, I think. And that's where I've had the main challenges. So my aphasia has improved significantly. And certainly in the early days, it, you know, it was ramping, improving really quite rapidly. Going back to work then, you know, after a couple of months and I've, you know, been back to work five months now, obviously brain's trying to take in a whole host of different stimuli and stuff like that and my right side's trying to recover from the brain damage on my left 
So fatigue comes into play really quite strongly. So that's something I'm having to manage at the moment, especially, you know, working from home through through COVID with all these video calls. You know, that's a, that's a new experience and that takes some getting used to. So trying to find this sort of, you know, the triggers and techniques for managing that effectively and anxiety as well. I mean, it's not too bad now in, in terms of I've had a, you know, follow up with my uh, stroke consultants and he was really reassuring about my future sort of prognosis and risk but in that period so uh, you know a few weeks after I had my stroke you know, anxiety suddenly hit me like a truck from nowhere you know I couldn't sleep I thought I was gonna have another stroke I thought I wouldn't be as lucky next time I was gonna die that sort of manifested itself into near, near panic attacks as well so I had to work my way way through that uh, you know using breathing techniques and and chatting to people basically just to bring myself down into sort of a level playing field if you like and then management of anxiety has been a challenge and ever since I sort of started reintegrated into society for want of a better phrase it's been anxiety around doing new things or being away from home or traveling and things like that that I've had to contend with but every time I've, I've done something new my anxiety has then gone the next time I've tried it as well so I've just been ticking those things off but then with Covid and lockdown and because I'm because of my Crohn's disease and the immunosuppressive drugs I'm on for that means I'm shielding or you know managing my self-isolation so I've been locked away mostly over the last 12 weeks so I think that's really given me a false sense of recovery you know I'm not quite sure where I'm at because I'm in this sort of artificial environment just around my house and garden and stuff like that Paul Burroughs was lucky. He was able to be seen on a specialist stroke ward soon after first experiencing symptoms and received a potentially life-saving operation to remove the clot. Still to come on Stroke Stories. Paul on seeking help from the Stroke Association. When I needed effectively calming down, if you like, I, I rang up their support line and that actually helped me in, in managing that anxiety when it sort of hit me like a truck. So I'm really thankful for that. And on wanting to help other stroke survivors. How can I use the experience of having a stroke to support others in their difficult experiences that either that they've had or they, they might have in future. So that's, you know, I'm really fortunate. I've got a leadership role within a national organisation. So that gives me a good platform to share, mentor, support other people as well. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. 
Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Well, let's hear how Paul dealt with some of the lockdown challenges during the 2020 pandemic. As I came out of the stroke, I started to get health anxiety, thinking the stroke would trigger a relapse of my Crohn's disease. So, so I was having some psychological conversations around health anxiety. And then when coronavirus lands and you realise, you know, you get a letter saying you're extremely vulnerable, then that's really difficult to rationalise, especially with that anxiety. And then especially when you've got brain damage as, as well. So that all came at once. But I think, you know, the very clear instructions at the start about staying at home, at least I had a plan, I knew what to do. And I could, you know, effectively make myself safe. And I'm chomping at the bit to get out to do stuff because I'm recovering from a stroke. So I'm, I'm you know, missing the, the life experiences and stuff like that. But I'm kind of conditioned to, you know, being in a, a weird place of recovery and, and stuff. But my wife and kids haven't. And it's been really interesting to observe their ups and downs through this and help them manage that as well. So that's been really interesting. I mean, lockdown's been fine in terms of I've been really fortunate they've been able to work from home. So I've been able to focus on something other than, you know, the awfulness around coronavirus or, you know, other other worries. So I've been able to, to focus on work and do jobs around the house, you know, I had a whole host of stuff to do in the garden. So I've been keeping busy. Whereas it's been mostly a challenge then is when when the guidance starts to change or, you know, there's all that noise around guidance and different interpretations of it. And then that's when my anxiety started to kick back in. When I've got a clear plan, I'm absolutely fine. But when you get all this sort of mixed advice about it's safe to do this, it's not safe to do that, and oh, sending, you know, the girls back to school or not, that's where it starts to really challenge me emotionally and mentally. So, you know, I need to sort of come to a very quick decision on what our plan is such that that anxiety doesn't sort of manifest and brew itself. And I try and, you know, remain positive. But that, that's been the biggest challenge of lockdown. But I am fearful of the elongated nature of this. And, you know, the likelihood is certainly with my work, we're not likely to get back into an office environment for a long time. So the realities of home working and video calls and, and you know, the ability to manage you know, your fatigue around that is going to be something that, that I've got to get used to for the long haul. Paul has also decided to be more open about his stroke experience. After I had the stroke, I did quite a lot of research into, you know, the procedure I'd had, how lucky I was, all of that type of stuff that, you know, in an ideal world you'd have done beforehand. <laughs> but you, you don't, do you? Uh, you know, and you don't expect to have a stroke at 43. But uh, over the last few years, I've been starting to engage more about some of my life experiences, you know, in terms of my Crohn's disease and stuff like that. So I've been quite relatively active on, on social media, certainly through my last surgery. So it, it just sort of felt natural. To, to put my stroke recovery out there through social media. And in doing so, I connected with, with Craig and the charity Stroke of Luck. And he lives on the Wirral, which is where the charity's based. That's where I, I grew up. He's got links in with Tramway Rovers Football Club, which is my my club as well. So the, all those few things linked together and, yeah, started chatting to Craig. And, yeah, we've done a few things. So I did an Instagram Live on, on Friday sharing not just my stroke story, but that whole previous experience and how I think that's helped me face the stroke positively and come out of it as a survivor rather than uh, sort of a victim. 
so yeah, yeah, and hopefully that's a, re- a relationship that we can build on. Hopefully, meeting face to face rather than uh, rather than virtually in, in in due course as well. But yeah, I'm looking to to do a few more things with with a stroke of luck if possible. When I was first hit with that anxiety, I sought advice from the Stroke Association. So when I needed effectively calming down, if you like, I I rang up their support line and that actually helped me in, in managing that anxiety when it sort of hit me like a truck. So I'm really thankful for that. And on various Facebook groups, which have been really useful in just sort of benchmarking things you were going through, you know, so I suffered from pins and needles that seemed very, very strange in the night. So, you know, just trying to test whether that was a normal type of reaction. So it really useful for those type of things, just to check in on things that were going on for you and whether other people had experienced them just to just to sense check it, but uh, very wary not to use that in replacement of, you know, proper medical advice, but but helpful mutual support as well and helping other people, you know, with their challenges and whatnot. So, yeah, I've been, been really thankful, actually, in the days of, you know, social media and the internet that there's such great support out there if you, if you, can, if you search for it and you're open enough to engage in it. I just want to continue to enjoy life and have positive experiences with Lynn and the girls. I've got my confidence back in terms of that that I can still do my job and be as capable as I can be. And that might be slightly different. You know, I, my concentration might lapse from time to time. I'll probably get more tired. I'll have to manage my diary better. But actually, within all of that, I'm still a, you know, a capable person person able to do my job and hopefully you know progress my career that was one of the real fears I had just after the stroke was you know this this is how how am I going to financially support my wife and kids will this impact my ability to you know to to earn money effectively but I've got my confidence back now having you know been been back at work for five months that 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 it won't it won't necessarily hold me back in it but equally how can I use the experience of having a stroke to support others in their difficult experiences that either that they've had or they, they might have in future. So that's, you know, I'm really fortunate. I've got a leadership role within a national organisation. So that gives me a good platform to share, mentor, support other people as well. And here's Paul's advice to stroke survivors and their loved ones. I think it's important not to benchmark yourself against others in terms of your experience and recovery. Everyone who's had a stroke has suffered something that could have killed them. But we all come out of it with different impairments, different disabilities, different challenges. You know, I was I was really fortunate and I really, really feel for people who were, were less fortunate. Don't feel guilty or don't feel bitter that you've had a different experience to someone else. If, if you've come through a stroke, and survived that's fantastic and measure your progress from there uh, in your own way not against others i think it's really important and advice for friends and, and family it's actually about appreciating really the time and space you you have together because life life's pretty fragile and uh, you know a stroke you know mine came from absolutely nowhere you know other other things that have happened to me in in terms of Crohn's disease you know I can, I've, I've seen build up whereas this this was like you know bolt from the blue so really just you know just take pleasure in those simple things that you can do with with your with your family and loved ones and enjoy every day 
Paul's health challenges over the last 20 years threatened to completely disrupt his life, but he continues to thrive at work and has made amazing progress in his stroke recovery. Coming up on the next episode of Stroke Stories. As I started climbing the stairs, each step, my right side became heavier and heavier, and I made it all the way to the bed. And I got on the bed and I actually sent my husband a text message from upstairs and said, can you come up here? Something's weird. And he came up and I said, I can't feel my right side. And that's when 911 was called. I never had pain. I never went out of it. I just became numb on the right side. Please don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and rate and comment on the episodes you hear and like because that will help us spread the word. And if you are or you know of a stroke survivor and there's a story you'd like to share, please do contact us via Twitter or Instagram. Our DMs are open. The Stroke Stories podcast was produced by Aidan Judd. I'm Mark Goodyear. Thank you for listening. This is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.